Yeah, right now the market is saying silver is an industrial metal. I don't agree with that, but it's behaving that way right now. A ratio of nearly 100 to 1 is the largest anomaly in price I've ever seen in 30 years in, in business, bar none. It's as unusual as four feet of snow in the Florida Keys, and it's, uh, it's, it's an anomaly. Uh, for 100 plus years, you've seen a, a ratio about 45 to 1. Geologically, it's 15.5 to 1. When you talk about a ratio of 100 to 1, there was one time right after the Civil War we've been this close. It is as, as unprecedented as anything I have ever seen. Oftentimes, gold will lead the way in a bull market, and silver will run further once it catches up, like a slingshot. I expect silver to really do well. May not happen until gold makes new highs, and then I think it will slingshot. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George Round, only available at stboyer.com. Now enjoy this interview. Welcome to this RTD interview. Today I'm excited to have first-time guest, Mr. Andy Sheckman. He's the president of Miles Franklin, and today he's joined us to share his thoughts on the global economy, precious metals, and a variety of other subject matter. So Andy, welcome to RTD interviews. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking time to join us in here. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting your thoughts on what's currently going on as of today, Monday the 9th, as well as your thoughts about what's coming in the future and the importance of precious metals uh, in this current day and age. So before we dive any further, for those that may not be familiar with who Andy Sheckman is, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you've arrived at this point in your career? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 30 years ago, February, last month, uh, we started, Miles Franklin, my father and I, um, we have been in business in Minneapolis going on, uh, well, for 30 years, I should say. Uh, we have uh, done over $6 billion in transactions. We've never had a customer complaint. Uh, we are one of only 27 companies ever approved by the United States Mint as a authorized reseller of, of their product. Uh, we maintain an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. We um, have never had a customer complaint ever on Google. You can search and you won't find one. We're very proud of our reputation in a federally non-regulated industry. State of Minnesota doesn't care too much about that, though. However, where we're located, they're the only state in the United States that regulates the precious metals industry. So as a result, we are licensed, we are bonded, we are background checked every single year. So much so that almost 99% of the competition in the United States is all but boycotted the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. uh, because it is, they would have to be subservient to the same set of regulations that we are beholden to. We also have some worldwide, or for sure North American, exclusives with uh, Brinks, and we have storage facilities in Canada, in Montreal, in Toronto, and in Vancouver that are uh, non-reportable via FACTA and FBAR. We have a loan program. We are the only ones in, in North America with a fully insured safe deposit box program in a non-financial institution that is in Brinks, Toronto, and Vancouver. Um, and our rate that in which we bill people in our storage programs is one of a kind. It's fixed. It is based upon the number of ounces stored, not the value that uh, the, the metal uh, is worth, and, and that's called percentage of asset model, which every storage facility that I know of 
in the industry is based upon with the exception of ours. So we're different, we're not the same. We, um, we are a hands-on, uh, relationship-based, family-owned company that's um, been around for a long time by doing it the old-fashioned way, and we think it's the right way. All right, sounds good. Well, I appreciate you for sharing that. And so I'm curious, right now, as of today, uh, stock market, equity markets, Dow was halted due to massive sell-off. And so clearly indicators of some type of issue under the scene. And then there was a rate cut out of the blue, or not necessarily out of the blue last week. But what, what's currently going on in your opinion? Where are we at right now? I think we're, you know, everyone's focusing on the coronavirus. It's frightening. There's no question about it. And, um, but I think the market was long overdue for a correction. The, the, the catalyst, perhaps, is the slowdown in the economy as a result of the coronavirus. But when you take a look at what's been going on really since last September, you know, you can look at the repo rates, uh, the repo market that has been flooded with money coming from the Federal Reserve and overnight two-week loans because the banks and the hedge funds are totally, totally under uh, funded and over and over um, extended, and so when you're when you're looking at all of this money coming in every single night just to keep things afloat before the coronavirus ever showed itself, before the market started to to uh, to crater, to me it was very ominous sign. And in particular, when you look at a market that by every single metric is as overvalued as it's ever been, uh, price to book, price to GDP, pick a metric it is as extended as it's ever been, and furthermore had run unabated for 12 years. There's never been a market in the United States that has done that at a time when interest rates were the lowest in, in literally human civilization. So you end up with a scenario where um, the market was in dire need of a correction. And, and sadly, it's something as frightening as a coronavirus. It seems to be the, the catalyst for, um, for perhaps letting some air out of a market that was really very much overextended. Yeah. Now, do you see this recent uh, issue that we had as of today being something that will continue on throughout the week? And what type of activities will you, do you see the Federal Reserve or perhaps fis some fiscal injection of some kind? Because businesses are slowing down. They, they, I don't think they're going to let this continue on, if not game over. So what are you anticipating coming probably this week or anytime well, soon? You know, the old adage of pushing on a string comes to mind. You know, how can monetary policy by pumping money into the system uh, and lowering interest rates even lower than they already are, what, go negative? How does that um, get people to leave their house and to spend money and to travel and to go to restaurants and to do the things that, that create life in this economy? Um, I think that in a normal environment, yeah, in 2008 when, when the banks were collapsing, easy money, credit uh, uh, pumped into the system, interest rates low, those things worked. But when you're talking about a pandemic and fear, uh, I think it's pushing on a string. I think the Federal Reserve will do all they can. They'll continue to lower rates. You can see that by uh, the traders are front-running the bond market, already pushing the interest rates down to levels never seen before. And so I think the, the, the conventional wisdom is that we'll see interest rates go even lower. But, you know, I'm supposed to go to Mexico with my family at the end of the month. And, you know, we just got to we're debating canceling altogether. And, and all the credit and easy money in the world wouldn't make me change my mind. So I think that 
when you talk about what the Fed can do, I think their hands are tied behind their back. They'll do all that they can. But I think that this is a, a, a different time. This is, we've never seen anything like this. And, and what, what exacerbates the issue, in my opinion, is that the markets were in uncharted water. When you look at markets that have run unabated without correcting at the highest valuations in history, um, you know, this is, this is a, a path that I don't think the Fed has all the tools in the world to fix. Now, you can talk about uh, intervention. You can talk about buying S&P futures. You can talk about trying to prop up the market. Any way you look at it, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this just has to find a way to work itself out. And where it stops, I don't think anybody knows. And I do not think that by lowering interest rates and pumping money into a system that never finds its way into the system anyway, it just seems to inflate financial assets, at least for now, uh, or what has been. I don't think that's going to do the trick anytime soon, to be honest with you. And I don't mean to sound like a pessimist. I want it to be understood that I have never sold gold based upon fear. Um, I think that you can obviously say that fear is, is, is kind of floating around the ether right now, and it's, it would be naive to ignore it. But simply to say that I don't think that there's anything that they can do via fiscal or monetary policy that's going to slow down this fall or to get people to move out and start spending money. Right. Now, and so a big issue based upon prior experience is that, you know, when markets crater, central banks come in to take care of, of their primary shareholders, which happen to be the two big to fail banks in regards to the Federal Reserve here. And so are there any concerns on perhaps some, some new tool measurements being rolled out to where perhaps with the banking sector, you know, they, they, they freeze deposits, another bank bail in, will, will, will the people stand for that? And what type of tools do you see possibly being rolled out that could be in a creative sense or it's going to be more of the same in your opinion? It's going to be more of the same when they pass the law that uh, enabled bail-ins. Most people don't understand that. FDIC is a scam, doesn't have enough money to handle one too big to fail bank. Um, and at the interest rates people are getting paid right now uh, for their deposits, you can make an argument for pulling your money out of the bank and putting it in your basement in cash. And I think everyone should have 10 grand in cash or more in small bills anyway. But you know, when you look at the inherent risks keeping your money in a bank account now for what you're getting in return. Uh, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons you see $20 trillion of negative yielding bonds around the world because people are afraid. Where do they put their money? And uh, it gets to the point of being negative yielding assets. And when you take a look at a 10-year note that's about five, uh, five basis points, it's, it's crazy. So I, I don't know what the right answer is simply to say that um, – uh, I think buyer beware, uh, saver beware, um, mitigate your exposure to the U.S. dollar, which leads me to another issue. And, um, you know, as of April 1st of 2019, the central banks reclassified gold as a tier one asset, the only other tier one asset on the planet. So do as the central banks are doing, and they're mitigating their exposure to the dollar. And they're doing so by accumulating gold. It is the only other tier one asset on the planet other than U.S. dollars and treasuries. Uh, and that was as of April 1st of last year that the Bank of International Settlements reclassified gold. Here again, most people don't know that. Yet, when you look at what the central banks have been doing since 2018, they've been accumulating gold voraciously unabated. Um, I think they were told of this either in 2017 or 18, because in 2017, the central banks were net sellers 
2018, they accumulated more gold than at any time in the previous 60 years. 2019, April 1st, it goes into effect. Those numbers increased by 90%. And here we are in 2020, and every central bank across the globe is, is de-dollarizing and accumulating precious metals uh, as a hedge against the dollar or as a hedge against what's coming. And so I think when you see the most sophisticated, well-funded, well-informed, influential traders on the globe selling dollars and accumulating gold, that is what people should be doing and uh, not keeping their money in a bank earning, you know, one quarter of 1% if that with all the inherent risks. Yeah, keep enough in the bank to pay your bills for a few months. But anything after that, what's the incentive? What's the, what's the risk versus the return? Is it just convenience-based? I don't know. So it certainly makes an argument for precious metals when you have negative yielding environments and, um, and markets that are very unstable. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, as of last April, tier one asset gold. And so clearly I've been following the, the pathway of gold, especially when it comes to all the operations ha happening out east with, you know, China's massive accumulation where we've, we're given a number from the World Gold Council. But yet, once again, not many people actually believe that figure. And then, of course, Russia. And so Russia and China have been heavily accumulating and uh, gold for several years now. And so do you think they have something in mind that will be rolled out as a result of all this yeah, you can take a look at they've done. They've already set up an infrastructure. For example, the Chinese petro yuan bond. Chinese petro yuan bond uh, goes back. First of all, the Shanghai Gold Exchange was started somewhere around 03, 04, or five, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's a cash and carry market predominantly, uh, and so um, the Chinese a couple of years ago came out with a bond denominated in yuan that is used to purchase uh, oil from the Gulf states, natural gas from Russia. They um, buy those items, they pay for it in a bond denominated in yuan, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Exchange. And that's why the Shanghai Exchange has delivered almost 90 times more gold than the COMEX has, 90 in the past two years. You also have the, the system, I don't know the exact acronym, but it mirrors the SWIFT system that has been adopted by the BRICS nations and also now being adopted by many of the European countries, which will usurp the... SWIFT system, which is what the United States uses to impose sanctions upon countries or institutions that, that we are not happy with what they do. As an example, I, I think it was a bank in France, might be called Parabank, uh, that was uh, fined $4 billion for dealings with Iran, and they paid it, or they would have been kicked out of the SWIFT system, because if you deal in energy, if you have oil, you have to pay for it in dollars. And all of those transactions are settled through the SWIFT, Swift system, through a New York-based bank, so you have a couple pins that are being pulled out of the out of the system. A, you have a, a a swift system type of scenario. You have a petrodollar type of scenario. And if I had to guess, with all of the gold that has been accumulated by Russia and China over the last few years, you will see a currency that will rise up to challenge the world reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar. In fact, enough so. At last July, when I was speaking at the Sprott conference, I showed a slide, and that slide was um, issued from J.P. Morgan Private Wealth. That's the, the, the division of their bank that works with the wealthiest people in the world, the billionaires and the centimillionaires, and they sent out a letter to all of their depositors saying, we want you to mitigate your exposure to the U.S. dollar as we are concerned that it will be challenged for world reserve status. Now, it may not come out and usurp it, but Gresham's law says that good money chases out bad. And if you have a currency in the West that's completely debt-based, 
versus one in the East that would be backed by some sort of commoditized backing very, very quickly, I think you would see uh, a big problem for the U.S. dollar status as world reserve. And, um, you know, then you, you look at the ability to challenge the petrodollar through the Chinese petroyuan bond. Now, this may be putting the cart in front of the horse in several aspects, but simply to say it is not lost upon the East. And I think that uh, they are putting pieces into place that would allow them to challenge the U.S. Um, look, the United States dollar, by our own admissions, is north of $120 trillion in the hole in things like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, government military pensions, entitlements. The Treasury publishes a report every year. Now, I haven't seen it from this year, but last year, they said we had $3.8 trillion in assets against 120 plus trillion in liabilities, of which the largest asset was student debt of about 1.8 trillion, as it is, is they passed a law that said you can't bankrupt yourself out of it, it's considered an asset. Uh, and so when you're talking about the world reserve currency, that is that far in the hole. Heck, a trillion seconds ago was 31,688 years ago. The numbers are too big. I think that the rest of the world sees that. The rest of the world arguably is aggravated by our mismanagement and living well above our standard of living as it should be because we have the ability to print the world reserve currency uh, ad nauseum. So at some point, that's going to end. And so is this the beginning of it? I don't know but simply to say that the pieces are being slowly moved into place. That I do believe. Thanks for watching this interview. If you're enjoying content like this, feel free to become a part of the RTD community by becoming a member via Patreon. All it takes is a monthly contribution of about $5 a month for more great content such as this. Just scroll down beneath this video here and click the Patreon link and then hit this tab right here to become a member of the team. Looking forward to bringing you more great content. Now, let's get back to this interview. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I and so the name of the channel is Rethinking the Dollars. So I've have been anticipating some type of an event that you're describing for quite some time now, just because every single every single reserve currency has always shifted hands, and it's unfortunately been it's been by war. And so as of now, there is no real true war, but yet this current health scare could be that a replacement for a war that could lead us down a pathway to something different. And so my question would then, we talk about gold. And so what does silver fall into this? Because if, if gold is the number one tier asset for financial institutions, then I'm assuming silver should be the number one financial hedge for your average person that uh, you know, has the opportunity to go out and accumulate a little bit, little bit more than they would per se in gold terms. Where, where does silver fall into this equation? Well, right now, today, let me look, take a look and see what it's at here. Yeah, right now, the market is saying silver is an industrial metal. I don't agree with that, but it's behaving that way right now. A ratio of nearly 100 to 1 is the most, the largest anomaly in price I've ever seen in 30 years in, in business, bar none. Um, it's as unusual as four feet of snow in the Florida Keys, and it's, uh, it's, it's an anomaly. Uh, for 100 plus years, you've seen a ratio about 45 to 1. Geologically, it's 15.5 to 1. If you talk to guys like Keith Neumeyer, who was a very vocal, active participa participant in this ecosystem that we're in, he's the CEO of uh, First Majestic Silver, he'll tell you what's coming out of the ground is less than 9 to 1. He's even publicly said that recently. Um, when you talk about a ratio of 100 to 1, there was one time right after the Civil War we'd been this close. 
It is as, as unprecedented as anything I have ever seen. Oftentimes, gold will lead the way in a bull market, and silver will run further once it catches up, like a slingshot. I expect silver to really do well. may not happen until gold makes new highs, and then I think it will slingshot. But when you have the world's central banks accumulating gold, that's kind of what's propelling this market, I think, giving it a put underneath it. Silver hasn't been reclassified, but there is a 90% correlation between the two. I think it's important to say that ratios are there for a reason, but they don't always play out when we think. Prime example is platinum to palladium. I've been telling people for a year that palladium, if you owned it, should be traded for platinum. I was flat out wrong. I still stand behind it because uh, that ratio is so far out of whack, it should be right there in Florida with the four feet of snow and silver because my whole career, 30 years long, platinum was typically three times the cost of palladium or at least over twice. To see it inverted now uh, and three times more expensive than platinum is highly, highly, highly unusual. Palladium is an example of what I think you'll see gold and silver at some point. Palladium, if you take a look at the COMEX market, is nearly freely traded. Um, the traders have, have stopped messing with it so much because it has gotten so much um, demand behind it and the supply chain being so disrupted. So I think that um, that's a precursor for what we could expect to see in gold and silver. Bottom line is, is that silver is probably the most undervalued commodity on the planet. And I cannot think of another asset, another commodity that's trading at a third of its all-time high from 1980. Quite frankly, I can't think of anything that's trading less today than it was in 1980, just about. So from a logic standpoint, from a mathematics standpoint, silver should be the best play, period. Unfortunately, in this industry over the last few years, logic and outcome have been inversely correlated. Ultimately, you cannot run from mathematics. It will catch you. And that's what I think will ultimately happen with silver. But when you take a look at the most uh, sophisticated group of investors here in North America, I'd say it's JP Morgan. They may not be the most honest or scrupulous investors, but they're certainly sophisticated. And they've amassed over 900 million ounces of physical silver, according to Ted Butler. That is nine times what the Hunt brothers bought in 1980, that is the largest single physical silver position the world has ever accumulated at once. And uh, so when you see uh, a level of investors at that sophistication accumulating such an enormous supply of silver, I would say to you that it is absolutely, um, it is absolutely uh, a precursor for where they think it's going. So yeah, I, I think this is a gift to be, to be getting it at these levels. It's as low as I've ever seen it in relation to gold. And should be as the, on everyone's radar screen right now as a, as a heck of a buying opportunity. Interesting. Now, as we draw towards the end of our chat or discussion, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, we, you know, before talking about silver and gold, we talked about uh, the, the end of the current paradigm as far as our, the reserve currency or the Federal Reserve note. And so <clears throat> moving forward, do you see a time frame where silver and gold might be implemented back into the hands of the everyday person as a true mechanism for wealth preservation or do you see us going down the direction which it appears to be that we're heading when it comes to just digital transactions through all types of digital forms of, of, of payments and, and things of that nature? What, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, I think that's the way that it's going to go. But I think in order for anyone to ever drink the Kool-Aid again, it would be, need to be tied to some sort of, some sort of stability, like a stable coin. Uh, if you were going to have a, a digital back currency that has backing precious metals um, or something that will not allow us to go down this road again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously, I think a digital currency is what people uh, that control the system would prefer. And no privacy, no anonymity, easy tracking. Uh, obviously, you can make people pay their taxes and do all of these things when the currency is digital. But yeah, I don't think gold and silver will find their way back into the system, but I do think it'll be the underpinning of some sort of new system, whether it be, whether it emanates from the United States or from another place. Uh, in order to have any type of, of uh, reliability, any type of trustworthiness, I think that it will have to be part of a new financial system. Actually paying with gold and silver, well, that, that may come in between the two systems, but I don't really see gold and silver being part of our everyday use in, in terms of in being in people's pockets. I think that's uh, probably unlikely. So in your personal opinion, do you think that there's gold in Fort Knox? And if there is, will it make a difference moving forward? And if there's not, will there be any rip-roar from the public or from politicians in general? You know, I, I don't. I don't think the gold is at Fort Knox, or it would have been audited, and and uh, it would have been audited at least once or twice since 1953 or 54 when it was last officially audited. I think the the folks at Gata and La Metropole Cafe have been talking about this for a very long time, and the theory being that the gold was used to hold down the paper price through it through a phenomenon in economics called Gibson's paradox, which is the inverse relationship between real interest rates and the price of gold. And, for a very long time, the central banks of the West have been holding down the paper price of gold by suppressing it with leverage. Uh, and some of that gold has to come from somewhere. And a lot of people think that it was coming from the coffers at Fort Knox or, or why else not audit it. But the bottom line is, is that for a very long time, we have held down the paper price of gold, according to the folks at GATA and La Metropole because of low interest rates, because if interest rates were this low, the opportunity cost for accumulating gold is so, well, is, is, is nothing. And so uh, you have to kill the canary in the mine shaft. And um, I think if, if when guys like Ron Paul were trying to audit Fort Knox, it wouldn't have been met with such resistance if it was there. Uh, I think uh, logic would dictate that, that we probably have leased out a lot of that gold, sold forward a lot of that gold, gotten rid of it, in an effort to hold down the paper price so that the Western central banks could keep the game going a little bit longer. And, you know, when you, when you think about where all that gold has gone, I would argue it's all gone eastward. And uh, that will be the underpinning of some sort of new reserve currency that comes out of the east. Um, when, when JP Morgan Private Wealth sends out a letter to all its depositors saying, we want you to mitigate your exposure to the U.S. dollar uh, because we fear it will be challenged for world reserve, that's for real. And um, the new world reserve has to be backed by some sort of gold. Where did all the gold come from? Why has Fort Knox not been audited? There's a lot of what ifs, there's a lot of supposition, there's a lot of conspiracy, but there's a fine line between conspiracy and reality. And the bottom line is it would have been very easy for simply to, to open up the, the, the vault to the world and say, yes, it's all right here, come count it. And they haven't, and it's been met with great resistance. So. Somewhere between the things that Gata talks about 
and, and the things that CNN talks about is reality, somewhere in between. And I would lean somewhere closer to the, to the line that the folks at Gata talk about. But yes, it would matter. It would matter in the sense that we've lost our credibility. And at some point, if we get called on the mat and can't show it, uh, we've lost our credibility. And maybe that is why the world's central banks have adopted gold as, as the only other tier one asset on the planet because they don't want to take anyone's word for it. Maybe they'll just take the word for gold, which has been wealth since the beginning of time. So tough question, hard to answer, but if I had to guess, I'd say no. Yeah, fair enough. Andy Shackman, it's been great to have you here on RTD Interviews. Uh, for those that might just be coming across for the first time, can you last minute point them back to you and so that they can be a blessing to your work and stay in tune with what you have going on? Yes, sir. We do publish a uh, daily newsletter at milesfranklin.com. My email is andy at milesfranklin.com. I will reply to every single email that is sent to me. Questions, we're happy to answer. Uh, we sell precious metals. I'm happy to answer any questions in regards to that. Our prices will be as competitive as anyone. I have pulled our online store off, as we talked about off air. I, I prefer to do things uh, analog in a digital world. It's much safer. There's too much fraud, too much identity theft, but I will never disappoint on price. So if your listeners have any questions at all about what's going on, about our prices, about our services, they can email me at Andy at Miles Franklin, and I will reply personally back to every single one of them. Sounds good. Once again, Andy, it's been great to have you on RTD. Looking forward to having you back on in the future as uh, things either unravel more or get better, either one, and get your thoughts on where we're at that time. But once again, thanks for joining me here on RTD. It's my pleasure. Please have me back anytime. I look forward to it. Sounds good. Take care.